You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Uh, before we get to our study tonight, I'm going to have the guest service guys come, and we're going to give you, this would be one for each couple, so each household tonight. Feel free to take this. These are the six uh, commitments that we've been covering here on Sunday night, so each family, if you will take one with you. I printed this uh, on cardstock and tried to leave enough margin. My, the spirit of this, you can do whatever you want. You can rip it up in front of your spouse if you want, I guess, or they can rip it up in front of you is that you would frame this and post this somewhere in your home, uh, on a wall, uh, put it in a, uh, maybe next to your partner's side of the bed, whatever. <laughs> Listen, you, you know we committed to this, whatever the spirit of that is. But I hope you'll take this, and if you'd like a digital copy, I can email this to you as well if you want to adapt it you know, for what you want to use it for. Maybe you need it as a screensaver on your uh, desktop or whatever. But uh, that gives you the six commitments that we've been studying and I appreciate your partnership with us in this journey as we go through it together. All right, if you will, Matthew chapter 6, let's begin in verse number 7. And we'll read down through verse number 13. And if you remember, I'll pretend that you remember the first week of our series, we would have begun in Matthew chapter 6. And we're coming now full circle in the last commitment to this same chapter. Matthew chapter 6, let's begin in verse number 7. Uh, before we do that, you'll see on the slide, just encourage you, last time, last uh, beseech you strongly, uh, we are going to, Lord willing, canvas all of Oroville by this Saturday. Whether you help me or help us or not, we're going to do it, but I'd love to get a few other things done this week. So if you can help us and pick up a map or do at least a street or two uh, this week, those are available at the table. And uh, I had an awesome conversation. This shows you where this goes if you'll let God use you. I was talking to a man on Friday, uh, his work schedule um, has changed for the last two years. He can't go to church on Sunday mornings, and he's been trying to get that change for years. He's a believer. He said, hey, I see you have Sunday night services. And he said, I'm, I'm planning on being there next week. This would have been Friday for that night of worship, and then I may start attending that following Sunday night. There are people in Orville that need uh, us to just tell them they're welcome, whether they know Christ or not. So I hope you'll make that connection and do your part. Pray for us. Plan to be there next Sunday night. And if you can help us out in promoting that these next few days, I would uh, strongly encourage you and appreciate uh, your effort in that endeavor. All right, Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Let's look at verse 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as a heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us, notice the plurality of this prayer, this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so we're finishing up tonight with commitment six, as you see there in our bulletin and there on your sheet that we just passed out. We will work to protect our marriage with prayer and worship. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us tonight. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the privilege to gather again tonight. Um, Lord, it's been a rich day, a significant day of, of decisions being made. 
uh, new folks visiting and, and folks digging in deeper to your word and your will through the context of this local church, and we thank you for that. We thank you that in the midst of all that's going on, that you're causing our church to thrive and to grow and to, to be more what you would have us to be individually and collectively. And Lord, nowhere do we need more of that growth than in our marriages. Lord, our church, our families are only as strong, is only as strong as the, the marriages represented in this room. And pray for those that are at a different season of life as a widow or a widower uh, or as a single individual that they would, uh, Lord, be able to make the connections and applications in their areas as well of relationship. But Lord, I pray especially for those who are married tonight and wherever their marriage is at in your sight, I pray that you would challenge them that uh, Lord, they need to daily be convinced and, and convicted of the protection that's needed. Lord, there are threats. There are nemes uh, there's a nemesis. There's an adversary. There are those forces that would seek to divide and conquer. And I pray that you would help us to see these spiritual disciplines and the role they play in that. Bless this study tonight as we finish our series. Be honored in all that we say and do, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you notice, as I have, that, that um, age uh, is distorted as you move through life, and um, I shared this with a couple of you at a gathering we had recently. You notice how dates, don't, they don't seem as far away as they actually are. Like, I'm talking like when you were in high school or maybe when you first got married or whatever the specific situation is, and then you talk to your kids. You know, my boys, the big thing is they know they can get me riled up when they say, you know, back in the 1900s. It's like, come on, man, you know, they're just hitting you while you're down. Um, and the other day, someone proposed this to me, and I, some of you, we talked about this briefly, a few of you, uh, and I think it struck you as well. Here's the question. Do you know that 1980 and 2021, so that's the year we're in, just for all of us people, okay, we're in 2021, the distance between 1980 and 2021, that, that those two years, do you know that, that 1980 and 2021 are as far apart as 1980, listen to this number, and 1939? Does that just stop you in your tracks? Like when I think of 1980, that does not feel the same as when I was living in 1980, which I was rather young at that time for the record, that 1939 was just as close, okay? Isn't that crazy? Life just, it just, it just goes, doesn't it? And I would submit to you, nowhere do we lose track of time and reference in areas more than in our marriages. It just flies by. We're busy, we're involved in life, and if we have kids and all the dynamics of just doing life and marriage. And so the thought tonight is that we have to give ourselves to intentional protection and building these bulwarks, if you will, to defend our marriage against the threats that do exist. Here's the thought tonight in the one packet. Without work, our marriages will, by default, not thrive, but die. So you are naturally, every moment, with, if you don't exert any effort whatsoever, your marriage is not, is not drifting toward or moving toward vibrancy and dynamicness, if you will, spiritually speaking. It actually is moving the other direction. And so we have to intentionally put effort in to protect the marriage that God has given us. And so we end tonight back where we began on commitment one, which is the Lord's Prayer here in Matthew chapter six. The question tonight is this, in a day of willful vulnerability in most marriages, how do we in contrast intentionally and regularly build fortifications of defense against any and all threats? 
let's talk about two protective commitments tonight that if we'll practice these, they will help us in these areas. Number one, for a few minutes, let's talk about, first of all, protective prayer. Protective prayer. And we see that referenced in the first few verses of uh, our chapter. Um, This morning in our small group, we were talking about communication via text, specifically in the marriage setting. And my wife is renowned for using emojis. And I have no clue what she's saying. I'll get like three or four symbols, and I'm like, ah, I love you. I, and then she sends a few more, and I'll text back, I still love you. You know, just, I don't know what you're saying to me, what these symbols all mean. Different faces and uh, hand gestures and whatever. And I think they're all pretty positive. At least I'm going to go with that. You know, I don't think I'm in trouble. But just trying to communicate. Can I just tell you tonight that in reality, our maintenance and protective protection that we need in our marriage is not just you and I talking with our spouse or others, it's talking with God. It's not just even a counselor, it's, it's, it's intercessory interaction with God. One author said this, love does not commit suicide, we have to kill it, though it often simply dies of our neglect. I think often we, don't, we view neglect as passivity. Well, the marriage just didn't make it. No, we killed the marriage by neglecting the marriage. That's the spirit that we need tonight, and specifically, where we most practice neglect in our, quote, Christian marriages is in our neglect of prayer. So let's talk about a few areas, and I know that may seem a bit abstract. Okay, Pastor, you're saying to protect our marriage, we need to pray more, and in a moment, we need to worship more, but there's some very practical components of this that I think we uh, would be wise to end with tonight in our series. Let's talk about two areas of prayer Uh, that we need in our lives. First of all, number one, jot this down, prayerful eyes. Look at verse 7, eyes, E-Y-E-S. Verse 7, he says, When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that, (laughs) excuse me, they shall be heard for their much speaking. We we need to have eyes that close, eyes that uh, communicate with God in prayer. If tonight our marriage is in trouble, if you would characterize your marriage as being a bit in that direction, it's often the result of us quitting uh, in the areas that God has commanded us to be faithful. Um, Specifically, it's not that our marriage lacks hope, it's that it lacks effort, um, which never is to cease until we enter heaven. We talked about heaven this morning, right? We could talk about what marriage is in eternity, and that's a controversial subject that Heidi and I now and then will at least dance around that subject. Are we still, you know, is there still an understanding with us in eternity and, and all that goes with that? But, but for us to be in heaven someday until that moment, there has to be work. There has to be things that we see and things that we focus on. Key statement tonight, the only way to keep our eyes wide open to the threats to our marriage is to close them together in prayer. That's a key statement tonight. The only way to keep our eyes open to the multiple threats to the vitality and the the, the growth of our marriage is to close them together in prayer. And if you are not praying together as a couple, you're missing threats. You're missing strategies and attacks and assaults that are uh, being uh, leveled against you and against your marriage. And so prayer uh, is a way to see the threats that are around us. All right, notice two things about this prayer that Christ gives to his followers that would obviously apply uh, in the setting of marriage as well. Number one, prayer keeps us from repeated vanities. And he refers to that in verse number seven. When you pray, use not vain repetitions. Prayer keeps us from repeated vanities. 
I hope that your prayer with your spouse is not just the same things, saying the same things about the same old things the same way every day. Uh, whether it's over your meals that you share together, whether it's over shared struggles, trying to figure out parenting, uh, the job change, the health shift, the, the challenge at a new phase of life that you are trying to navigate together. But prayer should be more than just vain repetitions, just kind of cue up the stock sentences and empty phrases that we often offer to God. Can I be blunt with you tonight? Christ says here, that's how the heathen pray. That's how the heathen pray. Those who don't realize the threats against them and the assaults that are being leveled against them, we as God's people have no excuse. We must pray uh, in a different vein. God tonight is not impressed by the mere multiplication of words. He wants to hear sincere expressions of your heart, the heart of you, the heart of your spouse. And so uh, God gives us this through uh, the avenue of prayer. Um, I heard this statement the other day I'd like you to chew on for a minute. Just, it's amazing to me because I obviously interact with some in this area of counseling. Listen to this statement. Grace, that would be God's grace, gives your marriage a lifetime warranty. Think about that for a minute and its implications in our culture at large today. Grace gives to your marriage a lifetime warranty. That means if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we both are aligned with His will, this marriage will, will outlive at least one of us. That, that's a guarantee. God has offered us everything that we need to do marriage the way that he intended. And so it's a, it's a gift from God that we must ask for uh, on a regular basis. If we're not careful, we keep mindlessly waiting for and asking for God to fix our marriages when in reality he's waiting for us to do something with what he's already given to us, this grace that guarantees our marriage can survive and thrive. It's not a holy zap, it's a daily walk in this persistence in prayer that we do together as uh, believers. If you have two people in a marriage that are both sinners, then we can't coast you're a sinner married to a sinner. The two of you together need God's intervention on a regular daily basis. Do not get repetitious. Instead, be faithful to pray every day and ask God for his help. All right, and I just I came across this list of, of coasting couples. I thought this interesting. You may not be willing to admit this tonight, but I would guarantee probably most of us in the room at times, our marriage is just kind of coasting. We're not fading. We feel like we're just kind of we're in a groove. And these would be characteristics of a marriage that's coasting, and I would submit to you as vulnerable to attack um, that may be a challenge to you. The first thing that I found in the list that I came across in some reading the other day was visual lethargy or failing to notice things that need attention. You just kind of gloss over things. Well, it's not terrible. I guess it's okay. We just kind of are a bit apathetic toward things that need attention and need valued and maybe addressed in our marriage. Don't skip those things. Number two, a habit inconsistency. This would be abandoning healthy relational habits that we used to do when we first were married. And just as the years go by, we just kind of discard those habits as being not as necessary as they once were. Uh, laziness, being delinquent in areas of marriage that need maintained. Just not, not dating and not pursuing one another and not listening to one another. And the list goes on and on and on. Laziness is a, a symptom of a marriage that is coasting couple of more impatience I thought this was good resisting the processes that make marriage beautiful 
like you just enjoyed the process of, of talking through something and figuring something out and instead of just it's what's the shortest point between A and B, are you, are you celebrating the processes uh, that are a part of a natural, healthy, vibrant marriage? A couple more, discouraged responses. Thought this was a good one as well. Everyday responses that are formed more by what we are afraid of than what we hope for. Like, what are your conversations? Is it all fear? And I mean, I hope you don't do this to me, and I hope we don't have this happen to us. Or is your marriage defined not as much by what you're afraid of, but what you hope for? I hope that God can use us. I hope that God's not done with us. I hope God's going to do something today in our lives and in our home. Discouraged responses. And then lastly, most soberly, aligning with the enemy. Letting the devil into our marriage to do his corrupting work of deceit, division, and destruction. We find ourselves aligned with the devil himself, advancing his agenda even through the confines of our marriage. And so that's, those are characteristics of a couple who is just kind of drifting and coasting where they need to be prayerfully vigilant. All right, go to verse 8 now. And there's a second area that prayer protects every aspect of our life, including our marriages. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Notice this, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of. Notice that word, need of, before ye ask him. Number two, jot this down. Prayer keeps us relying upon God's discernment. Prayer keeps us relying upon God's discernment. Um, if you notice in your marriage that you and your spouse do not like the same things, uh, in fact, sometimes the things that you like, they loathe, and vice versa, it's, just, it's funny how sometimes that's a part of the dynamic. My wife, for example, she's in the nursery, so if you don't tell her, I'm about to share this with you. Um, she loves olives. She literally will just pop open a jar of, of refrigerated olives and just start eating those puppies right out of the jar, you know, just, and they're kind of, and I'm, you know, I like them on pizza maybe, barely, but she just, and then, hey, let's, let's smooch or whatever, like, no, okay? I love you, but not the olive breath you have right now, you know? And there are things I'm sure I like. You know, I, she likes coffee, okay, but I love coffee, and I'm sure my coffee breath is a joy as well in her life. But it's just funny how there are things that I can't, I mean, anybody in their right mind would like this, um, and she doesn't, or vice versa. And I think as it relates to discernment or sensing what is right or wrong, we must rely upon the Lord. We must rely upon Him to know what we need and how to meet that need and to use even our marriage and our spouse uh, to minister to our needs. Have you ever read verse 8 and thought when it says, okay, so God knows what we're going to ask, right? And I don't know if your mind goes, your mind does, well, then why do we pray? Like, so he's saying to pray, and then he says, but just to remind you, God already knows your need. Have you thought about that? And how do we reconcile the, the God who asks us to pray is the God who already knows our prayer request? And I think often it's because, again, our view of prayer is different than God's. May I remind you tonight the reason in, that we in prayer ask God for our needs to be met is it's a reminder that we depend upon Him, right? It's not just notifying Him, it's, it's owning the fact I can't make it without you. We can't make it without you. And I think what happens in marriage is we forget how much we need God to make this thing work and to make it please the Lord, especially as we move through life. Prayer is a reminder. It keeps us relying upon the God who knows our needs. It also unla it unleashes God to do things in answer to prayer that He otherwise would not do. You have not because you ask not. 
And so prayer is a means to having God not just hear our needs, but meet our needs. James chapter 4 says, Whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye what? Ask not. You know what's interesting in that passage is before he gets to the fact you're not praying, he says you guys are fighting. Could some of the arguments in your marriage be because you're not praying for things that only God can answer? You're looking to your spouse or you're resenting your spouse, not understanding and knowing and meeting your needs, and really that answer comes through prayer. And two prayerless believers have a hard time getting along because there are needs that only the God that hears that prayer uh, can answer. And so may we free our marriage from much of that tension and that fighting and warring by praying to God together, looking to Him ultimately to meet our needs. Um, One author I was reading said this. This is so good. He said, The thing that keeps each of us from growing is not our assessment of weakness, The grace of God is greater than any weakness we may experience. No, the thing that keeps us from growing is our delusion of strength. When we think we are righteous and strong, we do not seek the help of that God to tenderly and faith that 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 tender God faithfully offers. Our marriage is not damaged by cries of weakness, but pronouncements of strength. Our marriage is not harmed by our reliance upon our own is harmed by our reliance upon our own wisdom, righteousness, and strength. In the biblical model, weakness is the portal to strength. And so we need to own our weaknesses. We need to ask God to give us what we so desperately need. Um, One of the things I think we often do in marriage, listen to me, is everybody else hears about the issues in our marriage except God. We're talking to mama, and we're talking to neighbor, and we're talking to sibling, and we're talking to friend and confident, and we're not talking to God and asking him to work in that situation that we need him in our marriage. And so prayer keeps us relying upon God. Are you and your spouse desperate enough to pray to God on a regular basis? All right, number two, go to verse nine. Let's spend a few minutes here as well. Verse nine, he says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Number two, jot this down. So first of all, prayerful eyes. And we see that, the eyes that, that see the need and turn to God, look up to God. Number two, prayerful knees. This would be now we're on our knees and we're praying to God and asking for Him to meet the needs uh, that we have. If it's true tonight that all skirmishes between a husband and wife are rooted in a deeper war for the heart, and if it is true that marriage must be fixed vertically before it is ever fixed horizontally, then the way to win the war in marriage, the tension in marriage, is on our knees. It is in prayer uh, to the Lord. All right, let's break down these verses, this model prayer that Christ gives in relation to uh, marriage. And before you say, Pastor, I don't know that marriage is the immediate context here. I would remind you, Peter was married. Um, Some of the other disciples likely were. And obviously, our relationship with each other, we are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And notice the plurality of the prayer, the R's, O-U-R. Over and over you see that. It is not an individual prayer alone. It is a corporate prayer. It is one that is shared between uh, fellow believers. All right, so let me give you a few points under that that are there in your notes tonight. Number one, prayer reminds us that our marriage is never alone to only our strength and wisdom. And the phrase from which we get that point would be our Father, which art in heaven. 
And I hope even as you read that, because of our study this morning, your mind soars a bit. We just talked about heaven, right? Our Father, which are in heaven. We're talking to that kind of a God. A God who does not leave us alone. Our marriage is never left alone to only our own strength and wisdom. Prayer reminds us that, aren't you thankful for this, that we're not left to our own righteousness, we're not left to our own wisdom, we're not left to just our own resources. There's someone much bigger than us that's a part of this relationship. And everything he can bring to bear is ours through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Prayer is a regular reminder of that. It reminds us that in each situation and location in which our marriage exists is not only inhabited by God, but it is ruled by God. He is in the heavens. He is over all things. And God, you're in charge of us. You're in charge of our home. All right, number two. Notice he goes on to say, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Number two, jot this down. Prayer reminds us that God's purpose for our marriage is always bigger than our marriage. Prayer reminds us that God's purpose for our marriage is always bigger than just our marriage. Um, the other day I saw this little story of a, a boy who was five years old and the mom was sharing this story. She said, as my five-year-old son and I were headed to McDonald's one day, we passed a car accident. I don't know if you've done this with your children, but she said, usually when we see something terrible like that, we say a prayer for whoever might be hurt. So the mom says, I pointed and said to my son, we should pray. From the back seat, I heard his earnest prayer. Dear God, please don't let those cars block the entrance to McDonald's. That was his prayer. Please, please. And it's sometimes our prayers are about us, aren't they? Um, I would ask you this, just challenge you with this thought tonight, this question. How much of your prayer life, both individually and with your spouse, is about anybody except you guys? Even your children or your home or your job, but it, it, it's very, in some way, it's very self-absorbed. When's the last time you prayed for God to be glorified? When's the last time you've told God, we want to grow, we want to be used, we want to be more, use our kids for your glory, whatever the prayer may be. When was it more about God than just your little world? And so prayer reminds us that God's purpose for bringing us together is bigger than our marriage. I don't think when Heidi and I met, my father-in-law was pastoring at the time we met, and I, I can still remember the moment when I first saw her, that moment that God choreographed, that moment we met was much more than just about her and me. You do believe that, right, in your respective marriages. Um, the, the, the people we've been able to impact and the things we've experienced and the things we've learned that we would not have ever experienced alone. God brings us together for something bigger uh, than just our marriage. And I love that he says at the beginning of this prayer, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Whose name is your marriage about? Who's it about? Who is it honestly about? Prayer alone is the only way we can make it about the name of God, letting his name be what defines our marriage. He goes on to say, thy kingdom come. He now recognizes the, uh, the advancement of God's cause. He's praying for God's interest to be put first. He's begging and pleading with us to have this spirit in our prayers. We pray for the day when his kingdom will be here on earth. He reigns in righteousness and we experience all that he has for us. Thy will be done. He's asking for God's will. We surrender our will to his will. And lastly, in, the, in earth as it is uh, in heaven. And I've talked to you about it before. It's interesting that preposition is not on earth but in earth. 
Um, and I think basically the prayer is in earth, what are we made of? We're made of the components of soil. God, he's saying here, God, may your will be done in me, in earth, in earthen vessels like me and like my spouse. That's the prayer uh, that we should have. Prayer reminds us that God's purpose is always bigger than just our marriage. So what would be the takeaway of this prayer that, that God's purpose for marriage is bigger than just our marriage? I think it comes down to often we use marriage, listen to me, to build our own little kingdom, don't we? What's safe um, for me, what's sanitized, what's structured, it, it, it's the way I want it. And we use marriage to build our own little kingdom. And at the same time we're doing that, if our spouse also is prayerless or a bit feeble on this front, they're doing the same thing. And it's interesting because those two kingdoms at times are not always cohesive. They compete with one another. There's, there, there's friction that's generated when I and my spouse are building our own respective kingdoms. When there's no larger kingdom to unify a husband and wife, sadly the marriage becomes a battle between their each individual kingdoms. Do you see that? Do you see that struggle in your own home? I do. There has to be a larger, bigger kingdom for which God has brought us together. Without that, we will slowly uh, fade apart. And so may we be willing to love Jesus as king and through prayer to remind ourselves that it's about more than just us. And together, join together to build into this kingdom for his glory and honor. All right, notice the next phrase, if you will. He goes on to say this, give us this day our daily bread. What else does prayer help us with in marriage? Number three, it reminds us, I'm sorry, it requires us to see ourselves as being in need. Prayer requires us to see ourselves as in need. You caught yourself with this tendency as I have, I would rather serve someone than let them serve me. My pride rears its head more when someone tries to help me than when I'm required to help someone. Oh, I'm good. I don't need anything. And often in marriage, that's the vibe we're giving, not just to our spouse, listen to me, but we're giving to our God, who knows how desperately we need the next breath from Him. Prayer reminds us how much we depend upon Him, how much we need Him, how needy we are. And if we have to pray, pray for bread, that means we need Him on a basic level, right? Costco and Sam's Club kind of mindset, the stockpile you've got in your house that as long as your freezer keeps working, you can live till kingdom come, as we would say. We don't sense that, do we? In this culture and in this day, without some of the technology and the resources we have at our disposal, it literally was hand to mouth. And we've lost that sense of neediness. And because I don't need God, I also don't necessarily need my spouse. And we begin to become autonomous and self-reliant where God never intended for us to be such. And so prayer requires us to see ourselves in need. We don't need to be afraid of our neediness. What we need to fear is needing nobody or no thing. I don't need any of, of this. That mindset is lethal in our relationship with the Lord and our spouse. All right, next phrase. He says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lastly, here in this section, prayer reaffirms our calling to give the same grace to our spouse that God has given to us. The same grace to our spouse that God has given to us. Forgive us our debts. Here's the way in which we're to do that as we uh, forgive our debtors. And so we see the spirit here of grace or forgiveness that's extended to our spouse. 
Prayer helps us make sense of the fact that God loved us and gave to us what we did not deserve, and it compels us to offer the same to our spouse. Um, No marriage this side of eternity is without threats. And if we're not willing to pray, we will slip up in one or more of these areas. We'll become overconfident. We don't need God. We don't need each other. And through that, the dangers begin to creep in, the dangers that cause us to chill, to lay back when we need to be vigilant uh, for the glory and honor of God. Um, Quick verse on that. You're in Matthew 6. Would you go to chapter 26 for a moment? I know you know the story, but I want you just to look at the verse. I think it brings to bear this first point tonight. Matthew 26 and verse 41. So these same disciples that had earlier heard this lesson on how to pray, they're now in the twilight moments of their earthly time with Christ and he is about to be betrayed and we see a connection between protected relationship with God and others and prayer or the lack thereof and notice if you will verse 41 as Christ challenges his disciples so he's about to partake of the cup that he had said I'd rather not nevertheless not my will but thine be done but in verse 41 he says this to his disciples Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How do we respond to that truth? We watch and we pray. Now, there are certain things tonight, and we have time to get in a lot of examples. I think I've used this illustration before, but imagine for a moment, and again, hopefully this you understand the spirit of his illustration, after church tonight, you were to drive through town and you went by one of the nicest restaurants downtown that's open on a Sunday night, and you see me across the table from another, with another woman having dinner, a late dinner with a woman, would you say that that poses a threat to my marriage? Would you say that? Probably poses a threat to my life, okay, as well? Um, I think often we view threats to our marriage only in the negative category, and by that I mean something that's, that's wrong in an active sense. Can I tell you that sins of not only commission, that would be in that category, but sins of omission are just as lethal of a threat, and by that I mean not doing something that God told us to do. So having dinner with someone that's not my spouse poses a threat to my marriage. Do I view as crucial and critical not praying? That's the struggle. And I think as it relates to prayer, we don't realize how vulnerable we are, how vulnerable our marriages are and our relationships are without a faithful commitment in this area of prayer. I'll say this and we'll move to our second point tonight. It's amazing to me how many Christian couples struggle to pray out loud in front of each other. That ought not to be. It ought to be very familiar, very comfortable, very consistent that we pray together. And I'm preaching it myself when I say that. God help us to protect our marriages through prayer. So here's the question, and then we'll move to our second point. If only your eyes and knees did the talking right now, is the prayer time before the Lord for and with your spouse growing or decreasing? Which, it's moving one way or the other. I'm inviting you to move the barometer, move the scale in the direction of it increasing. All right, number two. Go back to our text now, if you will, in Matthew 6, and look, if you will, at verse number 13. 
He says this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, notice that, and the glory forever, amen. Number two, and lastly, let's talk for a few minutes about worship. So one way we protect our marriage is through shared prayer. Excuse me, number two, it is through shared worship. Um, I don't know if you got to know the Rands last weekend. Some of you were out of town, but they're, they're hilarious. They're, you know, God uses them in uh, serious matters as well, but we had fun just joking with them. And one of the things that Michelle, Mrs. Rands, was sharing, I don't know if you noticed Pastor Rands sweats a bit. Some of you were like, it was freezing last week. I'm like, yeah, but you see Pastor Rands, he's like running, literally. He just sweats. I mean, just standing there, he sweats. But over, I think it was last summer, they had like outdoor services in this big tent because um, their church normally has multiple services, and they met all together under one tent uh, back, you know, when it's hot back in July. I guess it's still hot right now for us, but uh, in that season. And uh, she, po- she, I asked her if I could share this picture. This is Pastor Rand's uh, under the tent. And she said it, it, her girls and her were just cracking. It was almost like, oh, they almost, like, you want to look away, but you can't. And it, like, and, and Pastor Rand's was there as we were talking about it. Literally, the sweat spots would just grow, and he sat, like, under his arms and shoulders, and then his knees, like, even his knees, it would start spreading out. I don't know if you can see that in the picture or not, but, I mean, he's just, and everybody's like, hurry up, buddy, finish up, because it's getting bad, and, you know, just the timing of it. Have you noticed that as we age, as things go longer, does it get more beautiful or less beautiful? Just everything. In my opinion, it doesn't trend uh, in the positive. Here's the question I would ask you in all seriousness. As we age, how does our relationship with one another grow in its beauty when we're falling apart? How does it grow in beauty as we're moving, let's be honest, toward death and all of the stages that lead up to that? It only grows in beauty when the central figure, listen to me, is God. What worship does is it takes any setting we're in and it puts Jesus, God, in the center and we just, we celebrate his beauty. Worship in your marriage, worship in your home, puts God at the center. And as a result of that, it protects you against, listen to me, being intrigued by the beauty of this world. Its attractiveness and its allurements and the appeals that it has to our flesh. Worship reminds us that God uh, is at the pinnacle of beauty. And so we must be careful uh, to keep him at the center. Worship helps us in that direction. The other day I heard a couple say this to me. I thought this was profound. They said, we've stopped living with the delusion that our marriage will automatically be and stay beautiful. We've given up on it just automatically happening. There's got to be some work. There's got to be some effort. There's got to be some help brought into that conversation and relationship. All right, a couple things under that as we finish tonight. Number one, worshipful hearts. How do we protect our marriage? First, through hearts that are worshiping. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Um, the heart is where it all begins, and the, the evil that comes from that, God alone can protect us from that through hearts that are worshiping. Lead us not into temptation. Um, this request in some ways seems to contradict James 1.13, which states that God will never tempt anyone. However, God does test and try His people, This petition seems to express a distrust of one's own ability to resist temptation or to stand up under a trial. It acknowledges a complete dependence upon the Lord. God, I need you to get through these things you're going to allow in my life. And then he goes on to say, but deliver us from the evil one. A cry for God to deliver him from the power and the 
the deception of the devil himself. This prayer keeps our hearts close to the Lord. Um, one of the things that I pray every day is that I, especially in my family, that I will not be a liability spiritually. If it weren't for the dad I had or the husband I had, I would have worshipped God more. I would have loved God more. And the only way it's possible for me to be an asset and not a liability to the cause of Christ is if my heart stays close to God. A heart that's prone to wander. A heart that needs praise and worship to stay close to God. Um, I was thinking as we sang that last song. What was the last song we sang, Josh? The last congregation? Still my so- uh, be Still My Soul, that song. That song mean a lot to me over the last year and a half. I don't need you. That part where it talks about lesser lights and shadows, just holding to the truth of God's word. I remember us singing that shortly after we had drive-in services or something, but that song has meant a lot to me last year and a half ago. So just singing it, it recalibrates my emotions and my heart to stay close to the Lord. And the heart of your spouse and the heart of you will never be close to God without worship, proper biblical spiritual worship, Uh, being a part of your relationship. Worship requires us to face the fact that no matter what we suffer in our marriages, the deepest, most abiding dilemma in our life is not what's outside of us. That's not where the source of it comes from, but what is inside of us. We're the problem. Um, The antisocial habits we have and things we say to one another, we're the issue. Worship reminds us how much we need the Lord. All right, number two, look at the end of verse 13. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lastly, there's a worshipful will. So our hearts need to worship God. Number two, our wills, W-I-L-L-S, need to worship uh, the Lord. Uh, One of the things that's been interesting as we've been reaching out to Orville the last few weeks is the question, and I get this all the time, even just in other conversations, oh, you're the pastor at North Life. The next question out of their mouth, I would almost, and I'm not a betting man, okay, for the record, but if I were, I would say nine times out of ten, the next question, if they're interested in the church or want to know more, is the following question. What style of worship do you have? And then we begin a long conversation, okay? And there's a lot, and usually I've, here's how I've learned to answer that question. Why do you ask? Because if I don't, I'm going to walk into who knows what, a buzzsaw of one, one angle or another. Uh, it's not that I'm ducking and weaving on the answer, but why are you asking? And often it's, is it my preferred style of worship or what I'm used to or what I'm against or what I'm for? And, and often that's the first leading question that they ask. I was reading this the other day. Someone said this in relation to worship. And you understand, we're going to study in worship in a few weeks on Sunday mornings for a month or so. Worship needs to be within the constraints of, of Scripture, but often I think it, it's a bit more preferential on our part than we would admit. The author said this, True Christians love to worship, but, but let us never worship worship or our particular style of worship. May we love to worship because we worship God. Like our worship is great because of who we worship, not who we're with or what style it is or isn't. Uh, again, you understand the spirit of that, but it is our will. It, it, it can't be what we want that, that is what we worship. It must be the God that we want, the God that we submit to. That uh, is what leads to God-honoring worship. All right, a couple things about that underneath of that as we finish. Number one, jot this down as we bring this to application. Worship causes our marriage to be shaped by God's plans and purposes in view. I love this point tonight. 
So why do we need worship? Why should I sing my lungs out with Heidi and our, our boys? And why should we come to church as a family and, and praise Jesus? What does that do for us as a family? Worship causes our marriages to be shaped by God's plans and God's purposes uh, in view. That's what we're focused on. That's what's shaping our priorities. And notice he says here, for thine is the kingdom. Um, one of the things I find as I go through life, and probably you have as well, and I observe this in counseling too, there are a lot of Christian marriages, so-called, that are not about finding and doing God's will. And that, let's be honest about that. Many of our marriages at times, that's not the agenda. It's, it's what I want or what I don't want, and it's not about God's will. It's not shaped by finding and doing God's will. We claim to be Christians. We claim to have a Christian marriage and yet we're doing our own thing. There's no disciplined, joyful, daily pursuit of the kingdom of God. It's about me and what I want or even what you want. And so may we be willing to worship God and, and blow up, if you will, that pursuit of our own will and instead do His will and build His kingdom. Tonight, if you're not worshiping God in your marriage, somehow, some way, you will take yourself and put yourself on the throne. You'll put yourself in his position. The only thing that keeps you off the throne is by worshiping him. It reminds you're on the throne. You're God and I'm not, and neither is my spouse. It's about you. Are you pleased? Not are they pleased or am I pleased? Worship lets our marriages be shaped by God's plan and purpose. All right, lastly, jot this down. Worship keeps us from trying to do his job. This is a really good point as well tonight. Worship keeps us from trying to do his job. And I love how this ends, um, this triad, if you will, these three things that are mentioned. For thine is the kingdom, notice that, we just touched on that, the power and the glory forever, amen. Specifically, the power. You may think tonight, well, what do I do if my spouse is flawed? Well, I mean... For, let's assume they are to begin with. Maybe don't say that then tonight. As you pastor said, you're flawed. Uh, don't throw me under the bus for that. But if you will, we all have flawed spouses. I'm flawed, you're flawed. What do we do with the flaws or shortcomings of our spouse? I think the tendency is to take on a role or responsibility that only is God's. You ever seen this where a spouse is trying to convict or change or somehow create a situation where they're going to see the light, some sort of intervention, if you will. And they're taking on a job that, that is God's job. They're trying to do something that only God can do in His power and strength. They're trying to turn that spouse into a person that they, quote-unquote, need to be, instead of resting in the Lord. And so we worship to keep ourselves out of the way so that God can do uh, His job. When you live in your marriage with a constant God awareness, you will tend to be more willing to let him do his part and accept your limits or boundaries. I can't change them. I can't fix it all. I'm just going to worship the God uh, who can. Um, I don't know if you thought about this tonight, but, and I know this is kind of an odd question, but you, know, you, um, you see the Carnies, you know, Rachel plays and Josh leads, and you see Nick and Becca, and you're like, I'm sure they just sing around the piano every night. Yeah, right, Becca? Um, and, uh, and they just, you know, they're, they're like, they have an advantage. Can I just say, now, all of us should be worshiping with our spouses, okay? Whether you can play a lick on a piano or hold a tune or not, there ought to be worship. I love to stand with Heidi right here and just sing with her. I wish I did it more other than right here, but other people drowning me out helps with that, okay? Um, but just singing together 
It's a lost art in our day. Uh, We need to sing. We need to worship together as spouses. We need our marriage and our home to have godly music and to direct our hearts toward the Lord. Is that a regular part uh, of your family? A marriage is not rooted in romance. It's rooted in worship, period. And what you're worshiping is directing your marriage. Um, It's not the, the feelings. It's not the romance. It's not the conjured up circumstances that you may create. It is truly who and what you worship that will determine the success or failure uh, of your marriage. All right, so this last question, if only your heart and your will did the talking right now, is the worship time before the Lord for and with your spouse growing or decreasing? And I want to call you, just like I did with prayer, to grow this area of your marriage. Sing together, worship together, celebrate who God is, let it protect your marriage from other gods. All right, let's end with this. And I think I talked with Miss Rachel about this the other night at our, the other day at our music conference we were at. Those of you who are musicians, here's the conversation, okay? I'll bring this to application. So a person says to a musician, how do you perform so well? Musician responds, practice. Person responds, it must be an innate gift. It's practice, the musician says. Person, I can never understand why some people have talent like this. It's magical and a mystery. Musician responds one last time, practice. It's practice. Um, Can I say to you tonight as it relates to marriage, the marriages that make it do these two things. They pray and they worship. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't. And I think often we look at certain marriages and we're like, I just think it's, they're, just, they're different than us. They're made of different material and they have different circumstances. No, the marriages that make it do it God's way. They pray and they worship. One author said this in conclusion, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So it's not just the experience that brings joy, but it's when we praise God with it that it, that it makes it its, its full, full weight, the, the joy that comes from that experience. Think about the last thing you had, you enjoyed. You want to tell somebody about it, right? Social media is having a heyday with that innate desire in us to share, to post, to repost something that we saw or experienced. It is the consummation of the enjoyment. We use the word consummate as it relates to marriage, and I give you this final thought tonight. For us to fully consummate our marriage for the long haul in every level of intimate connection intended by our God, we must maintain faithful communication with that same God. Communication through prayer and communication through worship. May God help us to apply his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight.